Betty, I'm Ashley. Let's hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of Luke. Then he said to them, Today in your hearing the scripture passage is fulfilled. All who were present spoke favorably of him. They marveled at the eloquence of the words on Jesus' lips. They said, Surely this isn't Mary and Joseph's son. Jesus said to them, Undoubtedly, you'll quote me the proverb, Physician, heal yourself and say, do here in your own country the things we've heard you did in Capernaum. But the truth is, prophets never gain acceptance in their hometowns. The truth is, there were many women who were widowed in Israel in the days of Elijah, where the heavens remained closed for three and a half years, and a great famine spread over the land. It was to none of these that Elijah was sent, but to a woman who had been widowed in Zarephath near Sidon. Recall, too, that many had leprosy in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one was cured except Naaman, the Syrian. At these words, the whole audience in the synagogue were filled with indignation. They rose up and drug Jesus out of town, leading him to the brow of a hill on which the city was built with the intention of hurling him over the edge. But Jesus moved straight through the crowd and walked away. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks, Ashley. Well, my name is Will Forsyth. I'm one of the pastors here. And friends, it's good to be with you. Um, As we approach this passage today, we, um, we don't come alone. Um, This year we've been going through the Gospel of Luke and been going what is called the lectionary. So we join um, thousands of churches around the world that are reading this passage on a Sunday morning and figuring out what does it mean to follow this Christ. Um, So no, you're not on this journey alone. There are those in this room with you and um, there there is a world um, which we are connected to. So before um, we jump in and hear Jesus' words for us, let's take a moment and pray. Provoking God, you have called us through the face of the other. So free us from our fickle hearts, from our deep need to divide and exclude. Spirit, give us a vision beyond mere tribalism. Listen to our inner thoughts and set us free from our selfish ways. Offend our egos with your gospel so that we may love our enemies and all humanity. Christ, lead us to a new beginning. And through you, the one in whom hatred could not touch or hold down, may we follow. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, when you live in Boulder, Colorado, um, a lot of people in Colorado are not from here, from Texas or California usually is what we complain about, Um, but they come from all different places. And I am a native of Colorado and um, usually don't share that. I grew up in Colorado Springs, Greeley, Denver, Boulder, all of that kind of stuff. And um, sometimes you think about like just being from a place, your hometown. I don't know what your hometown is. So many of us, we've moved 20, 30 times. We don't even know where home is on a map. But I want you to think of maybe a place that formed you, 
when you were young, when you began? Where is the place that you are from? Well, I don't really care much about like being a native or not being a native, but I will tell you a little bit, deep down inside of me, even though I think it's ridiculous, when I see the bumper sticker of the Colorado thing that says native, there is a part of me that just goes, yes, I am from here. Quickly, I remember that um, this is not a land that was native to me. There are generations of other people and other tribes that this is their land, and then I feel the shame of that. I feel the sadness of that. Where are you from? Where is your hometown, the place that shaped you? Jesus walks into his hometown after teaching and healing some people outside of the city, and he's wearing a new mantle, a new new pride, the idea of a prophet, or maybe, yes, maybe even a messiah. The town loves him at first. They say, oh man, his words, they just sound so right and so good. He's the hometown hero. Sometimes I think of this passage um, through my own lens of my love of the NBA. And I think of when my friend, uh, LeBron James, if you didn't know, we were pretty close. Um, When LeBron James um, left his hometown, Cleveland, and he went to win a title with um, Dwayne Wade, my second friend, um, in Miami. And when he left his hometown, people were so angry. Videos upon videos of burning jerseys and yelling and saying that they had been betrayed. The one who once was a hometown hero had so quickly become the enemy. I've often wondered um, if, if LeBron um, was a white man, how would have they have reacted when he left? Needless to say, LeBron James comes back later, and when he comes back, everyone's excited again that he's back in Cleveland, wins the championships, and he goes down the middle of the street, and everyone is celebrating. The home we grew up in is a unique life to us, and I don't mean just the physical home. I mean the way in which we grew up, our beginnings. They have a way of celebrating us at times. And they have a way of rejecting us at our deepest part of who we are. The place we come from, this home place, is a place sometimes of our deepest identity. Have you ever met someone and then they get introduced to someone they grew up with and instead of you know, calling them Robert, they go by Bobby and you're like, who calls you Bobby? <laughs> it's like my hometown people do. And you're like, whoa, I did not know that part of you. It's our deepest identity at moments. It it formed, it shaped us. It's also a place often of our deepest wound. That some of our greatest wounds and things that we try to hide from the rest of the world for the rest of our life originated in that place. So Jesus walks into this loaded space, this room, carrying a new identity. And if there is one thing that your hometown will not like, it's usually carrying a new identity, especially if it's one that holds some type of this like prophet, powerful way in which there is good things happening. And so Jesus walks into this place and he preaches from Isaiah and he talks about a year of Jubilee, about freeing the prisoners, giving sight to the blind, about healing all people. And the hometown goes, now we're talking. We're excited about who you are. Just a few pages earlier in Luke, we get this prophecy of what Jesus' life may look like, what it looks like for him to show up in his hometown. 
He's resting in the arms of an old man, Simeon, who holds him and he turns to Mary and says, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Let me say that again. The inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This idea is central to Luke's vision. The gospel draws out, it lays bare the inner thoughts of many. So anyone listening to Jesus or following Jesus, all of us here this morning, you should tread carefully because Jesus sees beyond just the surface. There's a way in which Christ sees the inner thoughts, the deeper parts of us we have worked so hard to cover. So when Jesus enters his hometown, quickly the inner thoughts of this people that he knows so well is revealed. Here's two thoughts that they may have been having that we have from the passage. As Jesus comes in and he sees their thoughts, he knows what he's thinking. Before he does anything, he responds. He says, you're maybe thinking this. One, that I can't be the Messiah. I can't be the prophet you were looking for. You watched me grow up. You're thinking, yeah, I remember when you were just a little peon running through the streets of this town. Like, like you can't, it can't be you. I know your dad, Joe. Like, you can't be the Messiah. They have cynicism and doubt, and they are critiquing him and almost mocking him. Or maybe they believed who he was. Maybe they said, man, could this have come from our own town? The Messiah coming from Mary and Joseph? They accept it. They celebrate it. And then their own thoughts, their own ego, quickly turns to go, Jesus, can we get kind of one of those hometown discounts, like friends and family situation, where you know how you did some healing? Can you do more here? Whatever you did for others, can can you double it here? Can you kind of win a championship for us here in our own town? Can you be our prophet, our Messiah, for us and our agenda? Jesus responds to hearing these inner thoughts, to knowing the heart of this town and this people, and he gives them two stories. The two stories that Christ gives them are stories from Scripture. So, they're their stories. He's not making up a new parable and new stories. Like, let me tell you about your own story. It's called, as one author puts it, to transcend and include. He's including their story. He's including their culture. He's including who they are. But he's saying, guys, there's something more than what you're after. So he tells the story of Elijah and Elisha. And he says that when they came into a town, God asked them first and foremost to go to the outsider, to bring healing Not to the people within, but to those who are on the outside first. Well, this hometown hero in which their eyes were set and they celebrated quickly turned into their deepest enemy. Jesus realized that their heart was about them and getting what they wanted. It was about them being first in line. 
And Jesus tells a story from their own story and says, it's not about you. First and foremost, it is not about you first. When we come to bring jubilee, it is coming to those that this world has pushed to the side. My friends, this is offensive. For Luke, and we'll see it through the entire gospel, offense is an essential aspect of the gospel. Those supposedly inside Jesus' tent us, those who may label themselves as Christians today, are precisely the ones he is challenging to examine our motives, our convictions, and our way of life. In two ways. Could, could, you, could you, Jesus, we may ask, really be the Messiah, this one who has brought a new and sustainable and beautiful way of living in a kingdom, we may ask? Like, could it really be you, Jesus? The gospel then asks, in what ways are we driven to distrust, to cynicism in our faith? As opposed to a faith that's bold and humble and courageous. We approach faith so many times, and I am like, I believe in doubt more than almost anything in the world as a way towards faith or as a part of faith itself. But I know how easy I'm prone to cynicism because it keeps being vulnerable, it keeps being courageous at an arm's length. And so to look Jesus and say, you know what, maybe your way is the good way, is to let down that arm's length and to put my life in the life of Christ, in his story, to sacrifice for the sake of it. Or in the second thing, if we think that maybe he is this savior, maybe our thoughts and our inner thoughts are what's in it for me? To this, the gospel offends and asks, in what ways do we live our lives for our own sake? Or for the sake of the status quo, the normal? As opposed to living for the sake of all God's creation and collective liberation for all. What would it take, the gospel asks, to move past a tribalism in your own life, just thinking about you and yours? How does the gospel most sharply provoke and challenge and maybe even offend us today? We sit right now in a culture that is becoming known for rejecting and dehumanizing the outsider. The refugee, the immigrant, the coal worker. We see them first, the gospel sees them as a blessing not a burden. The gospel sees them as the place in which Jesus goes first to bring healing so that healing may be brought to all people. My friends, I I know you're with me, but I'm getting tired of the way in which we keep creating more and more outsiders. The way in which we are so afraid of those who don't look or don't sound or don't come from the culture that we came from. They're not from our hometown, so we reject them and see them as a burden. I'm so sick and tired of the progressive liberalism that just looks to others and says, you don't know anything and we dehumanize other people. Or on the other side that just says, you don't understand what I'm going through. We just continue to reject and push aside. We build our walls. We separate. 
And to this, Jesus says, I have come just like Elisha, just like Elisha, and I have come to bring healing to the outsider, to bring blessing and empowerment. And when that happens, we get angry. We all do. It's our inner thoughts. It's actually, honestly, don't feel too bad. It's your DNA to just take care of those around you. And that's why the gospel's needed. It transforms us to see beyond that. Now, I know when we did the Glory Patri, um, right before we stood, um, I think Tim put the music for angels to rise up. As we, did everyone hear that? Um, pretty soon, I'm going to get music that does some amens during the sermon. Um, God, people. Um, no. I know we're tired. I know we're frustrated with other people. The gospel calls us to follow Christ and to transcend this hate, this rejection, this outsider mentality. It calls us to include. It offends our way of self-protection, our way of scarcity, and it tells us to give our power to others or to take up the power that has never been given to us. This is only possible when we have a vision for this world and this kingdom like Christ did. Through Christ, we have a different and large vision for the future, not one of scarcity and fear. My friends, Jesus came into this world and he was set on giving social power, social access, social goods to the poor and the excluded so that the vision of God may be proclaimed and may be seen. What vision of the world do you have? Are you moving towards? Theologian Walter Brueggemann puts it this way, the vision of God is not a vision of accumulation or monopoly so that those who have the most when they die win. The vision of God's future is not about angels who have gone to heaven floating around in the sky with their loved ones. The vision, rather, is about God's kingdom coming to earth as it already is in heaven. God's rule, where the practices of justice and mercy and kindness and peaceableness are every day the order of the day. It is a vision of the world as a peaceful neighborliness in which no one is under threat, no one is at risk, and no one, and no one is left out because all are safe, all are valued, all are honored and all are cared for. In this community of peacefulness will come only when the vicious cycle of violent accumulation is broken. Christ asks us, maybe we may think of ourselves as one of his hometown people, to pay attention to our conversation, our words, our inner thoughts and judgments. What vision are you living by? One of fear and scarcity or that of Christ's gospel? A vision of the kingdom of God that will bless the poor, the outsider, that will be ruled by justice and mercy, that will call us into a life that sacrifices for a love for others like Christ has given his life us. This is not a work we do alone. 
It is not work we just do together. It is a work that needs the divine intervention of God himself to transform the way we live and move in this world. It's not even work we'll probably see the end of, but we are to hold the vision for the time we are here on this earth and to pass it on to others. See, come on now. Jesus walks away from his hometown. He walks into the margins of the world for a greater vision of God. At first, they're not happy. The mob picks them up. They take them to the edge. This is what happens when we hold these visions. And, and what this may look like is you're sitting in your office and people just start complaining about the world. They start talking about fear and scarcity. They start blaming others again. And maybe you just pause and you provide a vision of a peaceful, a peaceful kingdom, of a justice. And it may be offensive in ways. But it's one of hope. It's one in which God's love is needed if it is to come true. It is one of shalom, the healing and the wholeness of all things. But when this is spoken, Jesus is taken to the edge and they're about ready to kill him. And the very nonchalantly, Jesus just walks through the crowd and walks away. I have no clue what that passage means. Zero. I have some thoughts of what it could symbolize. One, it's just straight up miracle. (laughs) That God was protected when there was hate all around them and was able to just move because they knew there was a vision and a life that he was living that would change this world and lead us to this table. The other is that when a crowd and when a mob gets angry and frustrated, it has a way of turning in on itself. I could see the mob arguing about what Jesus said that they actually just forget that he's there. And so he's like, good luck with your argument. I'm going to go change the world. Or this, that the one, Jesus is symbolizing and representing and embodying the one in whom hatred could not touch. That hatred just didn't have an ability to hold him down, to hold him Back. That when Christ set his eyes and his life and his heart on the kingdom of God, when he knew the vision that the divine would have for this world, one of love and forgiveness, of a love for even the enemy, it, hatred just couldn't get its hands on him. It couldn't hold him back. Until one day he surrendered it for the sacrifice of all for those he loved. It is my hope and belief that though hatred may bring us down, that love is a greater priority in the kingdom of God. And it will not be able to get its hands on us to hold us down as we follow the one who moves through the mob of fear, scarcity, and hate and moves to the margins of the society for healing, wholeness, and love. My friends, may we receive this offensive gospel into the very center of our soul so that it may transcend, that it may include, that it may transform who we are as we move through the crowds of our world, of our own ego, and long to be a people who bring shalom 
the vision of God, the restoration of all things. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it has been easy at times to reject you. It has been easy at times to control you and try to hold you in your name for our own agenda, our own personal needs, our own egos. But you couldn't be held back. You couldn't be pinned down. You kept moving to those who were open and ready to receive and to humble themselves before you. And so God, Spirit of God, may you fill us with your beloved kingdom. May we join together as your beloved people. May you work in the very fabric of our world, our society, and our lives through forgiveness, through grace, through your gospel to bring freedom and life for all of creation. And when we lose vision for what you're doing in this world, when it all seems to be falling apart, Mother of God, scoop us up. Hold us near. Remind us of our story as we follow you. It's in your name we pray, amen.